How are you doing, Victory Church? You having a good Sunday? Yes, this is a later crowd, which means you slept in this morning. I'm a little jealous. I hope that went, some people are going, no, no, it's not. Well, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. And uh, I'm always just blown away when pastor calls and, and says, hey, would you, would you mind filling in? And uh, I always ask him, are you sure you got the right number? You've got the right guy here? Uh, it is an honor uh, that I call Victory Church my home, as you heard. And uh, we love what God is doing in this place. Now, before we get into anything else, uh, you know, every once in a while you hear rumors, right? And they just kind of spread around. Most of you know, rumors are not really what you want to spread, but sometimes you have to kind of lean in and figure out, are they true or not? And so I heard a rumor early this morning, uh, and I did a little homework, and I got, it, I got it confirmed that someone's having a birthday tomorrow that they're kind of trying to keep under the down low, I guess, and it would happen to be our very own pastor, Dan McBride, is having a birthday tomorrow. Would you put your hands together and show a little love, right? So we have a little birthday, we have a little birthday deal that I'm gonna need you to help me out with tomorrow. If you're a social media, I really want him to have to put his phone on silent tomorrow with all of the birthday wishes and, and all of those things. So help us out today and tomorrow, uh, just wishing uh, Dan just a wonderful servant, man of God, great leader of this church. We are grateful for you and let's wish him a happy birthday tomorrow, amen? So, uh, yeah, I'm pumped. I'm going to try to be on my best behavior because my parents are in the room. Probably not going to work. Uh, and so we're going we're, we're to let it go. But uh, yesterday or, uh, was homecoming uh, weekend for Southeastern University. And uh, I'm just honored and privileged to be there. I've been there since 2009. When we, we uh, took over as a team in 2011, we had about 2,400 students. This fall, we registered uh, 7,180 students. Uh, come on, yeah, I think God's doing something. And we're, we're excited to have that. But uh, as you know, uh, homecoming is a time where people come from all over the country. They come back to see their friends, to reconnect with people they haven't seen in a while. Uh, they come back to see the progress of their alma mater. And, 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 and yes, see us beat up on a local rival 56 to 7. And someone said to me, uh, don't you wish it was a closer game? No, who are you? If it was 90 to 7, I'd, I'd be happy. I'd be good with that, right? If you've ever been to one of our games, every time we score a touchdown, the 30-foot flames come off the top of our scoreboard. And I was very cautious uh, yesterday to let our AD know that success is not just a W. I want to run out of propane or whatever fuel it is for the fire to go off. I don't think we reached that last night, but, but we were close, and I was happy. Uh, but, you know, something, people come from all over the country uh, back for homecoming. And so one of the special things that we did this weekend was uh, wrestling for some reason, pulled all of their mats out and did their, uh, they had some recruits coming in from all over the country and uh, did their practice by the Jesus Mountain in the middle of our uh, campus. I thought, how appropriate is that? Wrestling, my favorite sport in the statue of Jesus. This sounds like a good day. So I walked out and I'm watching them wrestle. My son wrestles for the university. And lo and behold, a friend I have not seen in probably 20 years, walks up and says, hey, how are you? Didn't know he was coming in town. And he tells me this. He said, that has to be your son right there because that looks exactly the way you looked when we went to school together. I almost ran out and jumped on his back. <laughs> he picked my son out of 35 wrestlers, uh, was spot on, yep, that's my boy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get compared often to a 21-year-old who has 0% body fat and weighs 140 pounds. I was feeling good about life yesterday, right? It was good. So he, he picked my son out because he looks like his father. 
And so later on that night, I was speaking at an alumni event, which my father was at, and he told me after it was over, they had some very good friends come up to them and say, the moment we saw Chris get on the platform, we knew that has to be Ken and Betty's son because he looks just like you when you went to college. So in one day, we're, the, the generations in my family are being recognized because of we look alike and we're in the image of each other. And so finish this phrase for me, like father, pretty easy, right? And so when I was asked to speak, typically they say, hey, speak whatever you want. But they asked me on this occasion that we're in a new series called Real Life. And, uh, and so they asked, they gave me a topic. And I, I couldn't believe the topic they gave me and what happened to me on Friday. The topic we're going to talk about today is a, a reminder that you and I are created in the image of God. You and I are created in the image of God. And I thought, man, what a neat moment this weekend that my family is being picked out in different places because we look like each other. Now, have you ever noticed, isn't it fun to watch little kids grow and they take on the personality traits of their, their parents? Isn't that, it's so cute. They have the little mannerisms and little things. But have you ever noticed how dads help me out here? When the kids are behaving well, they're like mom's kids. But when they have a character trait that's probably not your spouse's favorite, they all of a sudden become what? Your kids. Yeah, have you ever heard that before? I mean, I, I hear it all the time. Yeah, that, do you know what your son did today? Why all of a sudden is he my son? I thought we did this thing together. We're still married, right? right? And so you see these character traits that take place. And so uh, last week I spoke in Washington, D.C. for a very good friend of mine. Uh, I'm so happy that I'm speaking here today. Last week I was not quite myself. Uh, I was trying to preach after experiencing an incredible loss. Uh, Syracuse beat my Clemson Tigers. I was having a hard time functioning. So when I hear comments about the Florida Gator fans, my heart is with you. I am there. Uh, I don't know how to process losing to Syracuse. If you're a Syracuse fan, please forgive me. We can make amends later on today. but I was in D.C. and I was thinking, there's, obviously there's going to be no, no Clemson Tiger fans. We're just a little school in South Carolina. And I made the comment, I said, any Tigers in there? And the place erupts. And I was like, look, in, in the midst of my despair, God brings hope. There they are. I had a voice of hope from, from the audience. And so uh, speaking there last week, I went online and I listened to Pastor's message last week. Uh, what an incredible word to you and I about trusting God in the most unbelievable places and situations that his plans for us are to prosper us and not to harm us. And so today I'm going to build off of that message and we're going to spend the next few minutes just talking about what does it mean for you and I to be created in the image of God? What does it mean? What are the ramifications? Is that just some cute little phrase that they put in? And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It's going to be on the screen, but we're going to start the journey today in Genesis chapter one. And uh, we're going to read this passage and kind of uh, dive in, and I'm going to set the stage. And then what I want to do today is give three things. The series that we're in is real life, right? Real life. And so I'm going to give you three things today that real life begins when these three things happen. And I believe with all of my heart this morning that the message that I have is what God has for us in this moment. And I prayed for you uh, way before I should have been up this morning, around 4 a.m. I was praying for you, uh, and just God had it on my heart. And so I'm excited about this message today. And so here's the context of the scripture. God is in the process of being what he is by nature, a creator. He is speaking into existence 
the world as we know it today. The heavens and the earth and the waters and separates and light and sun. And at the end of each day, the Bible records that God looked at what he had done and he said, this is good. This is good. I'm happy with this. But on the last day of creation, there was something a little different. It was the apex of his creation. It was the, the watermark, the high moment of God's creative work on this earth. And here we find in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Now, I just before I read on, I want you to pay attention to this. If you don't know this, repetition in God's word is not by accident, it's by design. Okay? So I want you to listen for the repetition in this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And the Bible says that when he got done with this, he blessed them. And when he reflected back on his work of creating man and woman in his image, he didn't just say this is good. He said it was what? This is very good. The Lord comes back and he says this is very good. So I want to say back to you as we dive into this, and I'm going to unpack the context a little bit more. But you are not here by accident. You are not here by mistake. You are not here by an oversight that the Lord has a plan for your life, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as we look at this today, here is my prayer for you and I. If you'll grab a hold of the concepts of what God is going to unpack with us today, it will change the way you see not only yourself, but it will change the way you see the people around you. It will shape how you live. And so you notice the word that was repetitive here, in his image, in his image, in his image, that we are created in the image of God, that we are not just another moment of creation, but yet we were special, we were set apart, we were the only one categorized in his image. And so if you know scripture, and if not, I'm going to unpack this because you have to know this for us to go where we need to go today. Just a little bit later, Genesis records where sin enters into the world. And God's plan was right here. It was for us to be created in his image. He immediately gave us purpose, right? And then sin enters into the world, and it mars that image. It creates a separation between us and God. If you're here today and you're not familiar with church, the very essence of who we are is this, that we believe that there is a loving God. There is but one God who created the heavens and the earth, and sin came in and broke relationship with us and him, and he had to send the only person that could pay the price so that you and I could be restored to the original image and back into relationship with him, and that person is named is Jesus, the son of the living God who always was, who always will be, descended from heaven, came to earth, born fully man, fully God, lived a perfect life, hung on a cross for your sin and my sin that you and I could sit here and stand here today and go, Father, I am your son, I am your daughter. The power that's in this message 
So there are two basic questions that I have found that people wrestle with in their lives. There's two basic questions that drive the decisions that they make. And working on a college campus, it, it, I hear it over and over. But it's not just college-age students. It's grown men and grown women with families. And if you've never answered this question biblically, then much of your life has spent wandering, wondering what if, what might be. Do you, would you like to know the two questions? Here they are. Number one. Who am I? Number two, why am I here? If you can answer those two basic questions in your life, then your purpose is set, your value is established. But what I have found with believers more often than not, that we allow people other than our creator to label us and establish our identity. I mean, we're looking for love in all of the wrong places, right? We're looking for places to give us value, to give us, find our identity. And I'm just going to go on record up front here with you this morning and say this. You are more than the sum total of your checkbook. You are more than the sum total of the decisions that you've made in your life. You're more than the size of the house that you live in, the clothes that you wear, or the brand of the car that you drive. Because if you look to these things to find your value, you are ignoring God and you are missing the mark. He has a lot more in store for you. Amen. And it... And, and listen, I, I, I'm not up here saying this going, I've got it figured out. No, I do this. I allow people's opinions of me to, to, to reduce the value of my life. I, I, I've looked for man's approval for years, trying to say, yeah, I, I'm good, right? I'm a good leader, right? I, I, I've accomplished things. And, and if you're like me, how many of you start each day with a task list? Come on, raise your hands. Come on, this is not some dysfunctional quest. This is a good thing. This is, people are like, I don't know. Is it a good? If it's good, I'll raise my hand. I promise, right? Just trust me on this. Just trust me, right? So if you start your day with a task list, you're a pretty driven person. And there's, there's this level of fulfillment that you have when you check the box off, right? I have accomplished this, right? This is the Wilson moment. This is Castaway. This is Tom Hanks. Look what I have created, right? You're there. This is your moment. I do stuff, therefore I am. This is very much how I'm wired, right? And so my, my job at Southeastern has afforded me some pretty incredible opportunities. Uh, right now, in the last probably 30 months, we've added a quarter of a million square feet of educational space on our campus. I got to be a part of the team that designed and brought football back to, uh, to Polk County at the collegiate level. Uh, so last night at that stadium, I'm looking around, and, and for me, I find a sense of pride in that. I, I, I find a sense of pride of you looking around going, wow, I was a part of something that will last lo way longer than I will. But at the end of the day, hear me, church, is that it? Is all I am is something that I was a part of that's a building an inanimate object? Because if that's your mindset, man, you're in trouble. See, I've seen two things typically happen with people like us. We allow the enemy to accuse us in the highlight of a bad mistake, and we wear that as our identity for the rest of our lives. So I know, let, let me just talk as if I'm preaching to another church, because I know we're all perfect here, and we have no issues among us. So I just feel safe if I just say I'm talking to somebody else, right? So we'll talk to another church. But let me tell you something. If you met, messed up your marriage because you committed adultery, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not the Lord labeling you an adulterer. 
If you've come back to him and said, Lord, I blew it, I'm so sorry. Man, that's wiped clean. He has no memory of that. That's the enemy trying to label you and set your value as a failure, not as a son. Not as someone created in the image of God. You know, if you've, if you've run a business and, and, and it didn't go well and you had to close down and affect other people's lives and, and that's how you've valued who you are, you're missing the moment. If you're allowing one simple mistake to be the identity that you live and carry with, the Lord is telling you this morning, hey, I have an altar, bring that baggage and let it go. I have a way better life for you to live than that. Now let's talk to the other extreme. These are the... These are the people that buy into what I call the facade of self-sufficiency. The facade of self-sufficiency. Are y'all okay? Everybody good? We're happy? All right, just making sure. I'm not going to change my message. It's the only one I got. Just checking on you. And so this facade of self-sufficiency is this. Hey, I've done well for myself. Everything I've touched is successful. My family is good. I've got money in the bank. I have all that I need. I am a success. Ma'am? Sir, if that's your criteria for value, one moment of your life you're going to wake up and realize, yep, you were successful in certain things, but the thing that mattered the most, a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is what establishes your value. So whether you're on one end, yeah, whether you're on one end letting the enemy define you or the other end of the facade of self-sufficiency, today's your day. So we're going to dive into this. The Bible says very clearly, right, that you were created, you and I were created in the image of God. And when sin stepped in, Christ showed up, came down, and the Bible says it's by grace that we have been saved. And multiple times in the New Testament, it says Christ is the image of God. And so what does it mean for you and I to reflect on that and to live what we would say a real life? See, a fake life is when you allow material things to define you real life begins with this if you're taking notes point number one real life begins when we find our value in god real life man i know that was shocking right that was deep you're like chris you set me up i was kind of expecting more trust me it'll get you in a second right Real life begins when we find our value in God. Let's just take a quick look at scripture. We'll just browse through this, but if you're new to faith, I challenge you, even on your phone right now, go ahead, Google it, Google it. Google this, who, I, who the Bible says I am in God and see what pulls up for you. Because what you're going to find is a litany, a long list that's a whole lot better than successful businessman, uh, successful businesswoman. You're going to find a list that says this. John chapter 3 says that you are the object of God's affection. That he loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have what? Eternal life. You are the object of God's affection. And the result of that is the ability to have relationship with the God who created you in his image and said, let there be light. Not just now, not temporarily, but for all eternity. Church, we're blessed and we're living small because we're looking in the wrong place to define our value. Last week, pastor just just an incredible message and I just want to say this right now I'm biased this is my church I love my pastor I just need to tell you that he is an incredible man he has become not just my pastor but a friend to me he is a mentor to me uh and, and I know he's not here but I think it'd be appropriate can we show our appreciation for pastor Blackburn this morning I just think it's incredible wonderful man honored 
And so I, I took a look at the text that he was using in the book out of Jeremiah. And we're not just the object of God's affection. Uh, we're, we, are, we are the focus of his attention. Jeremiah says that before I, I formed you, and I love what he says, before I formed you, in your mother's womb, I knew you. Let me tell you something. God's attention is not on other things. God's attention is solely focused on each and every one of those that were created in his image, that were marred by sin, and are now being restored through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work and person of Jesus Christ. His attention is on you, church. How many of you remember either when you were a kid or you had a, 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 your kids were growing up and you were trying to have an adult conversation? You know exactly, parents already know, you know where I'm going right now. It was either a pant leg, right, that's pulling down, or you hear this phrase over and over again, dad, 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 dad. I'm having flashbacks right now, my kids are in the room, right? It's like, I will get to you in a minute. Woman, this is your child, right? <laughs> One of those moments. And what I love about our heavenly father is unlike us, his attention is never diverted. He's never focusing on anyone else. He's never focusing on anything else. He knows you by name before you could call his. I mean, there are so many people that I have grown to know over the years that have this mentality that somehow Somehow, you're just not enough. You were born in the wrong country, or you were born in a poor family, or you were the product of a mistake, and somehow God doesn't value you. Hey, do you ever remember this phrase growing up? Wait till your father gets home. Come on, anybody remember that? I just struck fear in the heart of most men in the room right there. It just happened, and my pops is in the room, and I remember this, because my mom could handle her business. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to out them right now in front of everybody in the room. When I had the choice, somebody asked me one day, who would you like to, uh, to, to be disciplined by, your mother or your father? I didn't even bat an eye, pop. I'll, I'll take dad. I'll take dad. Yeah, no, true story. Mom used to send me out to get the switch off the tree. Anybody else have, have, have do that? How crazy is that? And I, I did what everybody I think did in the room. I brought the small switch in, right? And so she immediately goes and grabs the next best thing. You, wanna, you know what that was? Matchbox racetrack. Yes, yes. I tell her now, I'm like, woman, I could have you in jail. I could put you down. Shout abuse. And she looks at me, she goes, I didn't whip you enough. <laughs> Look at how you turned out. <laughs> and this idea, so we always knew when we pushed mom too far and she'd look and she'd go, you wait till your father comes home. I was trying any possible thing. Could I stay at Johnny's tonight? Johnny's mom called. She said it was okay. Can I go over there? No, you sit right here. You wait till your father comes home. Right? And there was this, what I got from dad was far worse than the waiting for dad to come home. You know what I'm saying? And we had this whole thing of wait for your dad to come home. I think a lot of us, when we make mistakes in faith, we actually feel that same way, wait till your dad gets home. And there is this kind of sense of God is waiting for you to make a mistake and he's gonna come down on you. He's gonna discipline you. And yes, God disciplines us. But can I just tell you right now, I never once experienced any anger coming from my parents towards me. I never once experienced anything but love disciplining me coming from my parents. And it's the same thing I've received from my heavenly father. He allows discipline to happen, but I have never once found anywhere in scripture where God was mad at me, disappointed in me, and rejected me because of a mistake that I made in my life. Can you say amen? amen. 
So for you that are carrying around the baggage in your life of a mistake that you made, today's your day. Today is your day. You say, why? You don't have to carry it anymore. You can let it go. Why? Because you were created in his image and he values you. He said you're the object of his affection. You're the focus of his attention. John 1.12 says, in fact, I want to read this to you. Turn in your Bible to the book of John. Wherever you may have it. We're going to look at the book of John, chapter 1, and verse 12. I'm having flashbacks right now because my mom's in the room and I told the story of the racetrack. I'm thinking I could be in trouble after service. If I'm talking to you an extra long time, it's because I'm afraid. Don't hurry off. John chapter 1 and verse 12. You want to know how God sees you? This is what it is. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. Everybody say that word, right. The right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Church, you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. God's not mad at you. You were created in his image. You're the object of his affection, the focus of his attention. He calls you a son. We are also the recipients of his grace. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture is found in the the book of Luke, the prodigal son. If you know anything about my story, my family, and my siblings, you would understand why I resonate so deeply with that story. And if you don't know it, let me give you the Reader's Digest version. Young man comes to his father who's wealthy and says, Dad, you're dead to me. I want the inheritance you set aside. I'm going to go figure life out on my own. Now, I couldn't fathom having any of my children say that to me or saying that to my father. But he did. Heartbroken as he must have been, the father hands him the money and says, here it is. And I can imagine, and doesn't say in scripture, so this is just the gospel according to Chris, but I can imagine this father going, son, don't do this. This is not a good decision. Son, don't do it. And the son goes, no, pop, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And the Bible says in the rest of the story, he goes out and he just blows all of his money on parties and women and craziness and finds himself homeless, starving to death in a pigsty with a moment of clarity. He realizes, even the servants in my dad's house, the people that work for him. They have it better than this. I'm just gonna go home. I know that I'm dead to my father because I said he was dead to me and I'll just beg for mercy and maybe I'll get a job on dad's, dad's farm. And this is the image for you. If you're away from God, if you've slipped out of a relationship with Jesus and you're kind of wandering through life, I want you to get this image in your mind. Put yourself in the son's place this morning. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin are death, that all of our mistakes do pull us away from God. But I want you to see how your heavenly Father, who created you in his image, sees you. The Bible says in the book of Luke that when the sun crested the hill, the Father could see him from a long way off. I get the sense that dad was looking for him 
waiting for him to come home. And the Bible says that he ran to his son. If you know anything about this culture and a man of that stature, that was undignified and would not happen. He would not run towards his son, especially a son who said, you're dead to me. And the Bible says this father pulled up his cloak and began to run towards his son and threw his arms around him. And when his son tried to tell him, dad, I blew it, I'll just be your servant. His dad wanted nothing to do with that foolishness. He turns around and he looks back towards the house and he begins to yell. He says, hey, bring a ring. I want a ring on my son's finger so that everybody knows that, my, that he belongs to me. I want you to put a robe around his neck because that's my boy. I'm not ashamed of him. I'm celebrating. And when the older brother complained, Dad, why would you take him back? He looked at him puzzled. And he goes, my son, which was dead, is now alive. Who was lost is now found. I want to tell you this morning, church, that you are valued by God. And there is a party waiting to happen for anybody who who says today, I'm coming home, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. So we, real life begins when we discover our value. The second thing, real life begins when we discover his plan. Real life begins when we discover his plan. I love what pastor said last week in the message when he was talking about, for I know the plans I, I have for you, says the Lord. He says, you know, this isn't this, uh, if you want it your way, go to, go to Burger King, right? Pastor said last week, it's not about, not about our plans and getting God to give us the thumbs up on what we decided to do, but it's actually when we understand that I am his son, valued by him, that I begin to pursue his plan for me, Right? And so I love it. I look around this room and there are businesswomen and there are businessmen and educators and doctors and, and public servants and, and just the, the, the variety here. But that's not what I'm talking about, God's plan. I'm not talking about your career. That's, that's just a small part of it. I'm talking about his plan for who you are. The best way that I know how to say this is if you have your Bible, I don't believe this is gonna be on the screen, but it's 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I call it the invitation to play. The invitation to play. This is God's plan for your life laid out. I love how it is worded here. And it says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now listen to this. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, here's the note, if you're underlining, if you're scoring, here's where you want to do it, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. God's plan for you is for you to participate in the divine nature, in his character. It's not subject to a job or what you're going to produce. It's more than that. It's about who you are. And when he says you understand your value, real life begins. But when you understand my plan, my permission to play, I want you to come and take on my nature. One of the worst lies that I have heard in church today, and I've heard people say it, and a good friend of mine in fact, uh, I've had the opportunity to get to know John Bevere. Anybody familiar with his work? 
right? John Bevere, great author. He and his wife, Lisa, are wonderful, wonderful people. He sent me a copy of his new book called Killing Kryptonite. I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't endorse a lot of books publicly up front, whatever. You need to go grab this. It's an incredible book. And he highlights this in his book. And he says this. He says, one of the greatest uh, misnomers and lies in the church today is that the only difference between a Christian and a sinner is that a Christian has been forgiven. So wait, wait a minute, hold on. So if we believe that, then the only thing that Christ died for was to kind of erase a couple of mistakes or, or, or some sinful nature that we had? That, that's it? And when you look at Second Peter, what does it mean to participate in the divine nature? It means this, that when you come to Christ and you said, I'll follow you, Father. He goes, great, you are marred by sin. It's gonna take us a little time, but I'm gonna transform you, and I'm gonna renew your mind, and you're gonna become just like me. I'm gonna change the way you think. I'm gonna change the way you see the world. I'm gonna change your heart, which could be hard and cold to the things that are hurting in this world, and I'm gonna put a heart of flesh inside of you that beats for other people and not just yourself. I'm going to change you from the inside out. Church, don't settle for somebody else setting your value. Let God do that. And don't settle for anything, any other plan other than God's character being formed in you. Man, if you'll commit to those things. You say, well, Chris, that seems so kind of, you know, hypothetical or philosophical. What does that look like? I am so glad you asked. You're as smart as you look this morning. I love this. What a great crowd. You could peruse through the book of Galatians and you'll find a list of things. They're called fruits of the Spirit. And they are evidence that you are participating in the divine nature. And here's how I know that I am actively participating in the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. My capacity to love people is expanding, not decreasing. When your love for yourself far outweighs love for other people, you're in trouble. The divine might not be working in your life the way it should. If your joy is at an all-time low, Right, And I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is a temporary thing we receive from earthly goods. Joy is a heavenly contentment that grounds us in the reality that God is in control no matter what's happening in my world. So when I'm increasing in love and I have joy and contentment, now I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of moments in my life where I've been through some stuff. I've seen a lot of betrayal. I've seen a lot of, of kind of backstabbing. I've seen a lot of just heartbreak and loss in my life, and I have not handled it all well. Can anybody else uh, go with me? I'm a fighter by nature. I'm from South Carolina. It's kind of what we do, right? And so I'm I'm a scrapper by nature, and so my my first nature is to react out of the flesh rather than react out of the divine nature. In other words, I have a temper. I was just trying to code it for you, okay, right? My mother's maiden name's Kilgore. I got Irish in me. We're good to go, right? And so I've had people lay their hands on me and go, Lord, we we speak peace over him because God knows he needs it. (laughs) But as I've gotten older, here's what I have learned. This is the divine nature working and growing in my life, his plan unfolding for me. When something comes up, my blood pressure doesn't rise the way it used to. And I don't snap to react. Why? Because God was faithful and delivered me the first time the second time, the third time, why wouldn't he be faithful 
to deliver me again. Hey, why don't I just relax for a second and rest in what the world says is a peace that makes no sense. Sir, you might be here today and been looking for a job for who knows how long and your family finances are resting on that and the stress level in your life is through the roof. I believe God has a peace to speak into your life that says, I know what you feel, but I haven't left you. Hang on, your moment's just around the corner. Peace puts us in a position to receive God's love because anxiety and worry, they often have us to take charge ourselves. Does that make sense? We try to fix our own problems. So real life, the life that God called you and I to live, well, that begins when we discover our value in God. We're his family. That moves into when we realize his plan for us is to partake in the divine nature where I'm growing in love, joy, peace. I'm even gonna say it, I'm sorry, it's a painful word, patience. I have none. I made the sloppy mistake in the first service of praying for patience. I don't know why I did that. It's probably gonna now come. I'm not sure if I'm gonna like the process of developing that. Uh, And so the last movement today, the third thing that I talked about, our value, his plan, real life begins when we reflect God's goodness. You were not given, and I were not given all that we've been given to keep it to ourselves. There's nowhere in scripture where it says, I'm gonna bless you so that you can have a comfortable and simple life. I'm going to put all of these blessings upon you. I'm gonna increase your capacity to love. I'm gonna give you joy. I'm gonna give you kindness and goodness. These things are gonna flourish in you so that you can be happy and content. No, the Bible says that we are marked with his image so that we can reflect his glory to all of those who are like what we used to be and we pray that they will become like we are becoming now, followers of Jesus Christ. See, church, Lakeland needs us. Victory, Polk County needs you. I want to give you three practical steps to embody this whole idea of reflecting God's goodness that you can employ this week, and I hope you do it, because the Bible says, if you hear his words of wisdom, but do not put them into place, you have not heard him at all. See, what Lakeland needs is this church to be dialed in on who God says they are. Doesn't matter what the world's doing. They're gonna be fighting, going crazy, division, all sorts of ugliness. I'm gonna stand as a child of God, full of his love, full of his grace, and I'm gonna walk out his plan, and what Lakeland needs is the person in the cubicle beside them to be a member at Victory Church, that when they're having a bad day, you're there with a smile on your face and the peace of God in your heart, and you can look at them and go, man, I've been where you are. Can I pray for you? I'm not trying to be weird, but here's how I solved it. I leaned into God, and he delivered me from all the stuff that I was going through, and he can do the same for you today. When someone feels unvalued and unwanted and you pay attention to their work performance or something at their job and you speak life into them and we just simply begin to love people we don't even know. It's the essence of the gospel that we would be people. What is the defining mark of God? It's the only thing in scripture that says God is. God is love. It's who he is. 
So three things that you can do this week, and I'm gonna start with the hardest and we'll move to the easiest. I'm just gonna warn you, if you have a mouthpiece, put it in. If you have some Kevlar, put it on. If you have a bulletproof vest, I'm coming for you right now uh, with words. I can't say that much anymore. It's a little crazy world. Uh, here's the tough one. Forgive somebody this week that you have yet to forgive. I'm just, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Just now I've gone to meddling and your pastor will be back next week and he can fix everything, right? You can just blame it on and say, hey, can you, can you give us a break from that Chris guy? It, it just, the whole forgive thing didn't work for me, right? But here's what I wanna challenge you to do. Someone who's harmed you, maybe harmed your family, wronged you in some way, maybe financially, maybe said some things behind your back and you've been holding on to that. Can I give you a newsflash? Um, the longer you hold on to it, the longer that situation controls and defines you. So the, one of the most godly things that we can do that he modeled for us, right? Gosh, this feels biblical. Uh, the scholars in the room, you, you can throw this back on me. But I, I'm almost positive Jesus said something like this. If you can't forgive your, your earthly friends, that if, that if, how will you, how could I forgive you? I'm pretty, I'm pretty positive, that's what it says, that there's this idea that God is saying, if you're gonna be my follower, you have to forgive, you have to let go, you have to, so here's what I want you to do. The name of the person already came to your mind. You already know who it is. Write it down right now, type it out, put it on something at your house, and before next Sunday, I don't care if you have to do it 150 times, pray over that person's name and go, God, I forgive them, I'm not holding on to anything else, and now I'm gonna, I'm just, we're gonna talk complete craziness now. I don't want you to just forgive them. I want you to bless them with your prayer. I want you to begin to speak good things over them. You don't have to go to them face to face. We're not trying to start the Hatfields and the McCoys all over again, right? You don't have to go and unpack the whole thing all over again. You just simply have to write their name down and go, God, I will not hold bitterness in my heart because when you choose to forgive, you choose to be Christ-like and you choose to be his representative in the world today. Forgive, let it go. The second thing that you can do Serve somebody you don't know. Now, I am personal friends with a lot of the staff that are here on this, uh, this wonderful church. And in fact, I think it's parent day at Victory Church because there are a couple of other people that are in the room today that I want to do a little shout out and say hello to that are actually the parents of Josh O'Connor that are here today. Uh, Martin and Sharon O'Connor, would you wave your hands back here? Uh, some of the most godly, wonderful people I've ever met in my life. Yeah, you can give them a hand, would you? Wonderful folks. Not perfect, not perfect, not perfect. Martin's a Georgia fan, but you know, you can't hold things against him. Josh and I have learned forgiveness. He's a Carolina Gamecock fan. I'm a Clemson fan. We've learned to get along together. But the second thing you can do is serve somebody you don't know. And the reason why I brought up the staff was this. Uh, what would happen if the Dream Center or if Student Ministries uh, was approached by the majority of us in the room and said, Josh, here's what I need. Mike, here's what I need. Pastors, I want you to set me up. I want to do good for somebody that I don't even know. What would that look like in your department for me to just serve my face off on a day or a weekend and just give everything that I've got? You might come up and say, hey, look, I've got money I want to donate. I've got time I want to give. I want to cook something. I want to prepare. I want to serve. I'll work the parking lot. What would happen if we just begin to serve, not just in our church, but the people on our street that we live on, and we just begin to do good for people randomly that we may not even know? You say, Chris, I'm not, I don't even know what to say. You've just lost your mind now. 
forgive people, serve people. And the last thing is this, be generous with your money. You say, what? The Lord withheld nothing from us. He gave the most valuable thing, his son, to you and I. And I believe the mark of a grateful heart is a generous hand. That we, we begin to give, and we begin to give generously above and beyond. And so today I'm going to ask you as the band comes back out, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we begin to close this service, or as I say, land the plane. I want to give you the big idea wrapped up in one little statement for us. Real life. I said it begins when we understand our value. We discover his purpose. We reflect his goodness. So in one sentence, here's what I want to convey to us today. Our purpose is to live as children of God, created in his image, allowing our good words and good deeds to point people to Jesus. That is a life worth living. So I'm going to give a series of altar calls this morning, and you see if you're new to this or you're new to victory, people are down at the front. We actually believe if you're going through a tough time, the Bible says that you should come to somebody who has faith, and they will join with you and pray that God would rule and reign over the situation in your life. And so that's what you have down here. And at any given moment that I'm talking or we're closing, and you say, I want someone to pray for me, you don't have to wait on me to give you permission. Just come on down, and they will begin to pray for you. There are godly people who love God and will pray a prayer of faith with you. But the first prayer that I want to pray with you this morning is this. Far too believers, far too many believers, have allowed the enemy to define them. Rather than saying, I am a son, I am a daughter. I am the object of his affection. If you're in the room today and you would say, man, Chris, I have been struggling with this. I have been struggling with the whole value proposition. I've been looking in the wrong places and I really want you to pray with me that my eyes would be focused and my ears would be attuned to Christ and Christ alone. If that's you, simply raise your hand where you are right now. I know it takes some guts, you're raising it. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can we pray for you right now? Let's do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, you said we have not because we ask not. And when we ask, we ask with the wrong motives. And so today, our motives are pure. We simply want to live a real life dedicated to you. And we lift our voice and we say, Father, let us find our value in you and you alone. Lord, let us not look around Lord, to material possessions or people's opinions, but God, let us find our value grounded in who you say we are. Priests and kings and sons and daughters, overcomers and conquerors, the blessed. God, that's who you refer to us as. We are blessed. Lord, I speak that over my church today, and I say, Lord, let your blessing flow. Let your, let your kingdom reign and rule in their life. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Now I want to do one more. If you're here and you're in the room today, actually I'm going to do two, I lied, forgive me. We're in church, you got to. If you're here today and uh, you've been listening a lot, but you've been doing very little, and you'd say, Chris, I need to step out. I need to reflect his goodness. I need his words to be on my lips and I need his work to be in my hands. I don't want to just take anymore. I want to give back. 
man, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to pray that over all of us this morning, that God would move us from a place of comfort to a place of service. Wow. What would we look like? How many services would we have to run on a Sunday to fit Polk County and the surrounding counties of people who would come to the church that serves like no other church. Could you imagine what would take place if we had a revolution of service in this place? I believe it's what God wants for us. I believe that's what he's calling us to. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, put on our heart to serve people we don't even know, to get nothing from it, only to give as you gave to us, sacrificially, openly, generously. Lord, let that be, God, the defining mark of this church, that we would love so much that we give, that we give so much that we'd serve. Lord, let that be us, in the name of Jesus. Now, my last one. If you're here and you're in the sound of my voice, you're not following God. I don't know what else to tell you other than today's your day because it's the greatest decision that I've ever made in my life I have failed him more times than anyone in this room could count and his faithfulness has never waned it's never never went back sir some of you are you're in this room and the woman beside you has been praying for you to give your heart wholly to God for years today is your day ma'am You've been here and you're the object of people's prayers that said, God, bring her home, bring her home, bring her home. One of the greatest memories, gosh, one of the greatest memories of my life was in the midst of my brokenness. I'd wake up in the mornings and hear my dad. downstairs calling my name out God whatever you had to do get him (laughs) get him God whatever you got to do bring my son back right people in this room my tears are mine I'm sorry but there are people in the room that your parents have done the same thing can I just say today's your day I'm not bowing my head and I'm not closing my eyes. If you're in this room today and you're far away from God, if no one answers, I'm good with it. I've done what God's put on my heart. But if you're here and you're in this room today and you say, I want to come home to God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk out from where you are right now and come down to this altar. Don't you wait. Don't you hesitate. Don't grab the back of that pew. Come on, right now. If you're in the balcony, I don't care where it is. We're going to wait and we're not bowing our heads. If you're here and you are far from God, God wants you to come home. Let's do this thing together. Let's do it right now. Where are you at? Come on. Put your hands together. Come on. Come on. All heaven's celebrating. You can do better than that, church. Come on. Come on. Yes. 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 Come on. Is there anyone else? You're in this room today in the midst of applause. Man, you want to come home to the Father. He's waiting on you. Is there anyone else? Today's a good day. What we're going to do is just close in prayer. If you, you need prayer, come on down. Come on down. And these folks will be here with you. They're going to sing us out. But I'm going to pray our benediction right now. The altars are going to stay open. Please be mindful of those that are praying here. But I just want to say, 
We love you. God has a plan for this church and for our lives. We're going to follow him with our whole heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak life and peace and joy over my family, over this church today. Lord, we believe, we believe. Bless every person in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. can it be that you my king would die for me amazing love I know is true it's my joy to honor you amazing love amazing love how can die for me. Amazing love I know is true. It's my joy to honor you were forsaken, and I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive, and I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, amazing love. Love